Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I pray you speak this morning. Open our ears, open our hearts in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. All right. Now, we are in the midst of a series on what Paul calls the armor of God. Uh, You you know, the impact that that Paul had, the Apostle Paul, on the kingdom of God uh, is absolutely immeasurable. Uh, That word is tossed around, but in the case of Paul, this is true. You cannot measure the impact he had on the kingdom of God. He lived in a day where most people only went a few dozen miles from their home in their entire life, yet he went to, to... far and wide, to to country after country, so that he could proclaim the gospel everywhere he went. Uh, Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the gospel. And Acts chapter 19 uh, says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul to the point that handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his body would be taken to the sick and they would be healed. Now, Paul did not get caught up in the miracles because he was so dedicated to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Uh, He called the gospel the power unto salvation. It was all about telling everyone that he could about Jesus. And my Bible, a study Bible, just has a little profile on Paul, and it summarizes it this way, saying, No person apart from Jesus himself shaped the history of Christianity like the Apostle Paul. Now, because Paul was so dedicated to the gospel, his life was incredibly easy, just a cakewalk. Now, if you've read the Bible, you know that that's not true. Paul's life was incredibly challenging, so difficult. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians uh, lists some of the things that he faced, which was beatings and, and floggings, constant danger and shipwrecks and imprisonment. And in fact, the book of Ephesians that we're studying right now was written from one of those imprisonments. And it would seem just on what we have of Paul's life that his life was much easier prior to committing to the gospel, prior to committing to preach the gospel. But Paul never steps back when he's facing all of these hardships and says, oh, okay, where did I go wrong? Obviously, when I look at my life, God is punishing me. Paul never does that. Uh, Instead, he takes a step back and he looks at his life and he he recognizes there's all of this resistance and there's all of this opposition. uh, and, And what he said is, there is more than meets the eye that's going on right now. Uh, and the fa- uh, in fact, by the way, the Bible tells us that this resistance that we face when we stand up for the gospel, when we share the gospel, it should be expected uh, and it should be recognized exactly as what it is, and that is a spiritual issue. Uh, we've been saying for weeks now, kind of at the core of this, this series, is so much that's taking place in our culture It appears to be a physical issue, but actually it is a spiritual issue. Now, this resistance that Paul faced 2,000 years ago, it never went away. Uh, Worldwide, Christianity by far is the most persecuted group on the earth. Uh, There are estimates of more than 100,000 martyrs each year for Christianity. Uh, In America, there is a war against the Christian idea of marriage and family and identity and the sanctity of life and you name it. Paul said all of these things that have the appearance of physical issues at their core are spiritual. 
These are spiritual issues. The battle that we are engaged in as believers is a spiritual battle. And therefore, Paul says, we have been given spiritual armor to take up in the battle. So in this series, we've been uh, dissecting each piece of the armor that Paul says we've been, we've been given. We've looked at the of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Last week, we looked at the shield of faith. And today, we're looking at the next piece in the armor. We find it again in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to read again, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the belt, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So today we're looking at what Paul calls the, the helmet of salvation. Uh, this expression was not unique to Paul. It's one that he takes out of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, where Isaiah describes the coming Messiah, describes Jesus as one who would come wearing a helmet of salvation. Uh, last week, we looked at this transition of sorts that is taking place in the armor, uh, where Paul is now instructing the church to take up pieces of the armor that indicate that the battle is beginning. Uh, a soldier would always wear the belt and the shoes and the breastplate if he was on duty. He would take up his shield, his helmet, and his sword as he heads into battle. So what is the helmet of salvation? What does he mean and what does it, he, uh, what does it do? We have a picture, Greg, if you'll put that on the screen. This is uh, an image of a first century Roman helmet. I remember Paul, Paul is looking at a Roman soldier as he's writing this. A few things you'll notice here is, is the, the cheek guards there. They have uh, kind of a lid in the back to keep someone from attacking the back of your head. Uh, and then they actually have, if you see on the, the top sort of center left there, uh, that's a design that they would put on helmets that helps you to identify your squad leader. So uh, it's a lot of interesting things with a helmet. But uh, what, what I want us to do is have a solid understanding first of what salvation means in Scripture. Uh, the word used in the New Testament is the Greek word soterion, uh, and what it means is salvation, deliverance, or rescue. But salvation is not one of those words that you can just memorize the definition and then you have an understanding of it. Uh, and in fact, I don't know of any other word used in Scripture that's quite like salvation. Uh, because the New Testament under, understanding of salvation is actually threefold. Uh, when the New Testament speaks of the salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ, there is a past element of salvation, there is a present element, and there is a future element of salvation. What I mean by that is if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, salvation has happened to you, salvation is happening to you, and salvation will happen to you. And we're going to look at all three of those. I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Uh, it, it's so important when we're talking about this helmet of salvation to understand the biblical viewpoint of salvation 
because these three different opinions or, or these three different tenses of salvation, there are different opinions on what Paul means by the helmet of salvation and each correlates to the different tense. So I'm going to show you that this morning. And first, we're going to look at uh, what we'll call salvation past. Uh, this is the fact that upon placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Past tense, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, the Bible calls this justification, but we'll call that, uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said this. He said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it has taken place. Salvation has come. And in fact, if we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesian church just a few chapters earlier, in Ephesians 2 verse 4, Paul says this, Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Past tense, you have been saved. I tell you, I'm raising him right. That's, it's, he's not even playing bingo. That's just my son. All right, there's a sermon here somewhere. All right, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then he says it again. For it is by grace, past tense, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin. This is called justification. Justification is a legal term in Scripture in the Greek language, uh, and it simply means that, means that you have been legally declared innocent. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you can take every bad thing that you've done in your life and you can lay it at the foot of the cross because when God looks at you, He declares you innocent because you have received Christ, because He sees Jesus that's my boy. My girl's next, I'm just telling you. All right, we have been saved at the moment of faith by grace alone. So Paul says, very specifically to the church in Ephesus, he says this is not something that you work for or that you work towards. It is solely on the basis of grace and not works. Now this is something that the Ephesian church really struggled with. Uh, if we look in, the, in Revelation, we find that this is a church that was known for their works. This was their rep, uh, reputation. Uh, and the works themselves, I heard it from somewhere. All right. <laughs> All right. If he wants to go get a candy bar back there, he can. All right. Is that three? Okay. But you guys can still scream hallelujah. It encourages your pastor. All right. All right. So Revelation says that they are known for their works, and the works themselves is actually not a bad thing. Uh, what Paul is talking about is the motivation behind their works. Are you working because you believe it will earn you salvation, or are you working in response to your salvation? Because if we go on to verse 10, Paul says those very works that don't save us, he says in verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
In other words, they don't save us, but you've been created to do them. And he's prepared them for you in advance. So Paul is not saying to stop working for the, the gospel, for the spreading of the gospel. He's saying, do it from a different motivation. You're not earning salvation. You're doing it because you've been saved. Now, uh, there are some well-known pastors, some well-known teachers uh, who believe that when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, he's referencing this element of salvation, our past salvation. Uh, John MacArthur is one of those. So it's some, some really smart, wise uh, men and women who believe this. Uh, I don't think that that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, and I'll show you why here in just a moment. Uh, but the thing is, regardless of what Paul is talking about with the helmet of salvation, all of these opinions are actually biblical truths, so it's kind of just splitting hairs. Uh, we're just kind of trying to get to what is Paul specifically talking about with the helmet of salvation. So some men like John MacArthur would say that uh, our mind is protected with this confidence in our eternal salvation. Uh, essentially, this knowledge of knowing that you don't lose your salvation every time you slip up. They would say, this is the helmet of salvation. Again, that's a biblical truth. You can be confident in the security of your salvation. And I know that that opens up a debate. Um, is salvation uh, secure? And I'll, I won't leave that open. I'll just touch on it for a minute. Uh, my thoughts on that is if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your faith is secure. Your salvation is secure and what I mean by that is you will not unknowingly lose your salvation. And I stress the word unknowingly. So if you have a bad week and you fall back into some old sinful habits and then you die at the end of the week, you're not going to arrive in heaven and God's going to say, if only you had died two weeks ago, you would be good. No, you're, in that sense, your salvation is secure. However, you can make a choice to walk away. Uh, and I've mentioned before that Emily and I have a friend who was a believer for many years. She was a teacher in a Christian school. She genuinely walked with Jesus Christ, but uh, she faced a number of challenges in her life, and she decided uh, that I'm going to publicly reject the gospel and label myself an atheist. Uh, and unfortunately, this does happen, and Jesus actually said that it would. Uh, when he told the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, he spoke of the seed that was being spread, falling on various soils, and he said some would fall on rocky ground, and ultimately it would wither due to a lack of soil. And in verse 13, he told the meaning of this passage, of this parable. Uh, Luke 8, 13, he said, Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in times of testing, they fall away. That, that literally means they have faith for a while. So is it possible to lose your salvation? Well, technically, yes, you can reject it. But this is not something that you need to worry about happen, happening unknowingly. And as I said, many believe that when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, he's talking about this confidence that we won't lose our salvation. So the next component of our salvation is a, a present and an ongoing salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. We are being saved from the power of sin, and the Bible calls this sanctification. So uh, Paul kind of mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, to us who are being saved, it is the power 
of God. And he uses the, the same expression in 2 Corinthians. And, and this is actually, from what I found in my, my studies, the most common understanding of the helmet of salvation. But again, I'm not so sure that's what Paul is referring to. Uh, many understand the helmet of salvation is referring to the renewal of the mind, and that's why the helmet is on the head. It's talking about the renewal of the mind or the salvation of one's mind. Uh, and, and like I said, whether or not that's what Paul is talking about, it's a biblical truth. So you can still stand on that. He said in Romans chapter 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. It's that idea that your mind is being saved. Bud, you got your chocolate. You're done. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, just a little earlier in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul talks about this sanctification as well. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, uh, verse 22, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So some believe this is the idea of the helmet of salvation, the salvation that is taking place in our minds, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have, uh, we, we see how our actions in life follow where our thoughts dwell. Our actions in life, they follow where our, where our thoughts dwell. And Paul said, we have been created to act righteously and to act with holiness. So, he says, what you need to do is be made new in the attitude of your mind. And in fact, Jesus said this is part of the greatest command we have is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our minds. This is part of the greatest uh, commandment. So, some believe this process of sanctification, the salvation coming to our mind, is what Paul was talking about. All right, so uh, like I said, those two, I, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. So process of elimination, what is he talking about? It would be future salvation. Uh, so we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. We are being saved from the power of sin. That's our sanctification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's something that the Bible calls our glorification. Now, Peter talks about this coming salvation in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. My kid is competitive, if you have not noticed this. Uh, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never uh, perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Notice that. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul says we are shielded by a faith until a coming salvation occurs. In Romans chapter 13, he says, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's talking about this future salvation. Uh, there will be a day when there is no more pain, when there is no more trouble and, and no more hardship. There, there's coming a day uh, that we will be re reunited with so many loved ones that we've lost. Uh, and, and what I've found in my life is the older I get, the more I long for that day. Uh, the more I long... 
uh, for that eternal salvation that we'll uh, experience. When we're finally free from every evil in this world, from every sin in this world, free from the presence of sin. Uh, and I believe that this is the salvation that Paul is referring to when he's talking about the helmet of salvation that protects us in this battle. Why is that? Simply because we should always interpret Scripture using Scripture. If we don't understand something, we interpret Scripture using Scripture. So Paul is using the same language in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, and he says this, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Oh my goodness. Find a hobby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let us be sober, putting on a faith and a love, uh, love as a breastplate. And then he says, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Paul says uh, the same thing to the Thessalonian church. He says, this, this helmet of salvation is the helmet of the hope of salvation. Now, how does this work? Uh, how does this protect us uh, if we're in a spiritual battle, in this spiritual onslaught? Because if you consider Paul's life, uh, he was always under attack. Shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment. I've named all of this. But Paul had this mindset that said, though the battle is hard here, it's temporary. Though there is so much that comes at us in this life and persecution and, and, and hatred and you name it, it's temporary. And there is a coming salvation that will make it all worth it. And we see this in Paul's writings in Romans chapter 8. Uh, you can come, Renee. Uh, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, he says something similar. He says, we do not lose heart, though we are outwardly wasting away. Inwardly, we are being, oh boy. We are being renewed day by day. He says in verse 17, consider again who's writing this. It's, it's Paul who is undergoing so much hardship. He says, our light and momentary bubble, bubbles, <laughs> our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You can see Paul's mindset. In prison, in beatings, he's thinking, these are light and momentary troubles when I consider the salvation that I will experience. So he said in verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, I fix my eyes on eternity. And you know what? I can go out here and I can share the gospel with every person I meet, and they can laugh at me, and they can tell me no, and they can ridicule me, and I can understand it's temporary. That's still my calling. It is still your calling, church. But we can take on the helmet of salvation and we can recognize when we, when we come under persecution or hatred, and it's coming, church. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. Good job, bud. We can recognize that what we experience on this earth, it's all temporary. is we spend so much time investing into what is seen. Investing into this little internship of a life rather than investing 
into the unseen eternity. And Paul says, take on this mindset that says this is temporary and I will invest into eternity. Paul called it the hope of his future salvation. It was the idea that his sufferings were so temporary. celebrate with those who are being baptized. Uh, and then one thing I forgot in the announcements. So for the kids' church, uh, if you are high school, uh, you can actually sign up to be a helper in kids' church. So that's kind of where the age begins to be a helper. So if that fits your bill, then uh, let us know if you're interested. Other than that, see you either next week or at baptisms. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.